Hi there, welcome to episode 34, and this is a special episode dedicated entirely to... Nope, but the reason for that is that the UFO report is delayed, isn't it? Unbelievable. What a bunch of delayers. Um, So we kind of know what's in it because of an exclusive, the Daily Mail of all papers got the exclusive... Um, but they also said that it's delayed a couple of days. Don't know why. Anyway, that means that after these blomps, we are going to listen to the review of Nope. So the following is my review of Nope, and right from the very beginning I'm going to say that after a short summary of the plot and my awarding of stars out of five, I'm going straight into spoilers, so let's go. You probably have all seen this movie, haven't you? If you don't know what the plot is, you could Google it, but essentially two um, horse ranch owners owners of a horse ranch, uh, whereby the horses are hired out for film and television work in Hollywood, are um, uh, grieving their father, who was killed mysteriously through a mickle, a a mickle, (laughs) a nickel going through his eye from the sky, and then he died. And... um, they're trying to kind of get the, you know, business. It's not going very well. One of them, whose name is OJ, who's played by the London-born, absolutely outstanding actor Daniel Kaluuya, who won an Oscar, by the way, as well, uh, last year. In uh, 2021, he won an Oscar. Um, so he's amazing in the film. And it's good accent, isn't it? Yeah? Guy's from London. Unbelievable. Anyway, um... So he plays this character called OJ, and OJ starts selling um, his horses, some of his horses, to this dude who works at this kind of funny, like a tourist attraction, a theme park, a western theme park. And uh, so selling the horses to this guy whose name is Jupe, and the name of the theme park is Jupiter's Claim. Which is really beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, lovely. Jupiter's claim. Because you can imagine some kind of like Wild West guy, a massive dude with a brushy moustache called Jupiter. I can definitely imagine that. Anyway, um, so basically OJ is, uh, you know, the business he's taken over from his dad. It's in the red and he's desperate for money. So he's been selling these horses. Um, and then they just work out, they kind of discover that there's something strange in the sky. There's something unusual flying over um, their, their house and flying over the ranch. And the electricity kind of dips whenever it's like a kind of precursor to this happening. Um, so they get loads and loads of CCTV equipment from, uh, you know, like a Curry's or whatever. It's not Curry's because it's in California. But um, but English or British um, audiences will know what I mean by Curry's. It's just like an electrical store. 
And the guy that sells it there, he's like a UFO dude. And, you know, this isn't a spoiler to say, I mean, what's a spoiler, what isn't a spoiler? But I, I would say one of the things I've got a question about in this film is that he, he kind of proposes, and if you're into UFOs, and I know most of you are, you know, you have a way of talking about UFOs with people, yeah? You have a kind of patter, essentially, like a way of, you know, reading interest and uh, kind of working out how to talk to them. I'm not that convinced of um, this character. His name is Angel, Angel's Approach. You know, he said, well, do you know they're called UAPs now, not UFOs? Now, you know, hit him with, well, pal, if you're interested in UFOs, then what you've got to know is December 2017, like, <laughs> go into the thing, yeah? Go into the thing. And we all know what the thing is. And it starts with December 2017, New York Times, you know, like, pull it out the bag. Come on, man, Jordan. I mean, I love you, Jordan, but you've got to pull it out the bag, Jordan. <laughs> and he's not pulling it out the bag, okay? It's like... He's not too sure what UFO people would say to non-UFO people when the UFO people think, "Hey, man, this might, this guy might be a bit, you know, might be a bit interested." So I was a bit like, "Okay, fine, fine," but you know, give us Lou, pal. Come on, Jordan, give us Lou for God's sake. Let's mention Lou. Mention the, you know, the tic tac, the gimbal, the. Do you know what I mean? Um, he did say, oh, like, you know, since um, the government declassified those videos. So there was something, there was something. But I thought, I don't know, I'm really not sure if this flies, you know. Anyway, that's a little thing. I did like that angel character overall. And what I really liked about him, this is spoiler, spoiler alert. But I'm going to talk spoilers now, OK? So if you haven't watched Nope, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't watched Nope, then put press pause, rent it from Amazon Prime, which is where I got it from in the UK or wherever. Do get it from wherever and watch it. And then, you know, don't don't put it on pause anymore. Oh, no, press play. No, press pause again to continue. Yes. Right. Now everyone's done that. This is spoilers from now on. I'm really happy that Angel survived because I thought it was... Uh, you know, um, curtains for Angel. But it wasn't curtains. He managed to wrap himself around barbed wire that the um, monster didn't like, did it? No. So there's lots going on here. If you haven't heard that, you're thinking, what the hell is he talking about? But what's the, I told you to watch the bloody film. Anyway, on the basis that you have watched the film, we go, you know, we go into essentially a kind of decision is taken after Jupe and his um, audience uh, swallowed, like, you know, kind of eaten and regurgitated down the house, which was an amazing scene with the blood and the the rainwater or whatever that stuff is. <laughs> Who knows what it is? Um, kind of falling, the rain-like liquid falling along with the blood over the house. Um you know, after that, a decision is made. We've got to capture this thing on film and we've got to do it in a way which is not going to kill us, which is going to be quite difficult. Then we get to the Jaws section. We get to this 
extremely charismatic performance by um what's his name michael wincott who was in um the crow all those years ago he's got this extraordinary voice and he plays this cinematographer a very austere slightly um not not as kind of presentationally um out there but something about Werner Herzog, you know, reminded me of this character whose name is Antlers Holst. So Antlers Holst is this renowned cinematographer and they get him on board and like basically by saying, we've got an impossible shot for you and you're the only person to get it. And he turns up having heard a news story after the 20 or so people that were I think they said 20, maybe they, maybe it was bigger than 20, but the audience and the staff and Dupe himself, who's the guy that owns the Wild West um, theme park, um, Jupiter's claim, they all get eaten by the, by the monster, yeah? So then it becomes a bit like Jaws, okay? So you've got this, this band of people, you've got OJ, you've got OJ's sister, who's called M, M short for Emerald, and um, it's Emerald, yeah? I think it's Emerald. And um, and then you got uh, Angel, who's the guy that works for the the Currys, you know, the Currys stand-in, the electric the electricity store where you get electricity from, and you also also got your man um, Antlers as well. Antlers holds some great names in this film, um, and it becomes a bit like Jaws. You know, they've got this uh, this mission, this task. They've got to kind of get all their equipment together. They've got to work out how to do it. It helps that Antlers has got a machine that he's made himself, which is a kind of crank-driven um, movie camera, which is, you know, there's no electricity is involved in the running of it. It's good, isn't it? I think he's got two of those, yeah? I think one is an IMAX machine and one's a kind of portable that he that he whips out at the end. Um so and then they they go on this uh, mission essentially to capture an image. So there's lots and lots and lots, and that's what happens is there's this extraordinary series of images at the end of the film, whereby the uh, the monster, the the people throughout the film. I mean, it's a small group of people, but the the cast of the film think is a UFO because it looks like a like a kind of classic flying saucer um, but it actually isn't a flying saucer it's a monster which kind of basically looks like a flying hat I thought like a kind of evil version of that cap that Mario throws around in one of the Super Mario games and it, um, <laughs> although that one wouldn't have been good at all because he's got very big eyes and OJ who's very kind of empathetic with the horses he figures out that you shouldn't look at the at the monster. If you look at the monster, the monster is then attracted to things with eyes, essentially. And they they get loads of um, what are they call they're called sky walkers or sky sky dancers. Yeah, they're called sky dancers, aren't they? Um, from uh, Jupiter's claim, sky dancers are those very strange, weird kind of bloom things that are basically pumped full of air and they kind of dance around, yeah? And they're kind of um, often, uh, like, got funny googly eyes on them and, you know, funny hair and they're made of 
rubber, I guess, or I don't know, something. I don't know what they're made of. But anyway, they're sky dancers. And they, they, they dot the ranch with sky dancers in order to work out, because they're like fueled by batteries, if the battery goes dead, that means that the monster is near. So it's a really clever idea, that. And I, re I really like that a lot. Um, and then they essentially there's kind of various attempts to get the shot. And there's this beautiful metamorphosis, metamorphosis, <laughs> metamorphosis that happens <laughs> um, towards the end, where it goes from a hat, like a kind of sombrero-type hat, the monster, to this extraordinary-looking, um, almost like a kind of cross between uh, an orchid and a jellyfish, Absolutely beautiful looking thing. And the, the film looks absolutely extraordinary. Now interspliced within this kind of main story is this backstory of one of the characters um, played by Stephen Yeun, this, this guy, Jupe. And Jupe used to be a child actor of some renown. He used to have this... Um, what was the... What was his... Uh, what was he called? He was called... Um, Oh, what was it, like Ranger Billy or something? I can't remember now, but essentially um, he was this, like, child actor, like when he was kind of 10 or something. And then after Ranger Billy, or whatever it was called, this kind of Wild West kids show that he was the star of, he then went on to do this sitcom. And in the sitcom, the star of the sitcom was a chimp. And the chimp was called Gordy, OK? It was called Gordy's Home. Now, Gordy and the uh, season two premiere episode, which was filmed but never released, in the filming of that episode, which is called Gordy's Birthday, Gordy, or the chimp playing Gordy, got spooked by a balloon. I think they say a balloon. And essentially slaughters the cast. <laughs> And in the the best parts of Nope are those scenes because it is just absolutely beautifully, brilliantly um, played. And you know who they got to play Gordy? They got old Terry Notary himself. Now, Terry Notary, when I saw the cast, because my partner was, what's this, my partner, my partner says, is they using a real chimp in there? And I said, I don't know, I don't know. And then th this was during the first, the, f the film begins with the kind of, see you know, the, the scene of slaughter by the chimp, essentially. And then the cast list was coming up, interspersed with this scene. And, and I saw Terry Notary. And I could say to my other half, well, no, because Terry Notary is the one they go to if they want uh, a monkey or a chimp or you know, an ape in a film. And in the flashback, there's this fantastic moment which is deep with symbolism, whereby after this slaughter of the cast members, the boy, Jupe, who's around about 10 years old, he's hiding under a desk, or under a table, I should say, like, you know, the birthday table. And he's kind of slightly kind of covered by... Uh, a um, you know a tablecloth, but you can look through the tablecloth, 
to see the, the chimp attacking people. And then the chimp notices uh, him. And he comes up, and we see it from um, Jupe's point of view. So the chimp is coming closer to us, closer and closer and closer. There's like, you know, blood on his hands and this, you know, his T-shirt that he's wearing is flecked with blood. And there's blood on his face as well because he's been like biting and eating the his victims. And um, what happens is that he then notices that it's dupe. And he becomes empathetic to the boy, the terrified boy. And he puts out his, his uh, fist, his paw. The monkey, do, do, do chimps have paws? Are they called paws? I think they might be called paws. Weirdly, the product, one of the production companies is called Monkey Paw. So I guess that does tell me the answer to my question. For this... <laughs> For this uh, question is, do they have paws, monkeys? But it's not. I know it's not a monkey. Do chimps have paws? Anyway, so so he, uh, we we've now before this we've established that Jupe has got a. I'll come back to that thing I was saying in a minute. But Jupe has got this special room that's hidden away that he only shows people for a fee. Okay, but because OJ's. Um, round to do a deal on the horses and his sister uh, M is there and M takes an interest going oh look I remember that oh my god yeah 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 oh that that time when the when the chimp went crazy okay oh my god you're okay yeah you're in that sitcom blah 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 he says right well I'll show you the special room that I don't show anyone apart from you know if they pay me and he's got like various things displayed things to do with Gordy's home displayed and one of them is a photograph of a fist bump and he says something like that's the first ever recorded fist bump <laughs> and the fist bump is between him and and um, the chimp playing Gordy you see so now go back in in chronologically forward in the film but back in time in the kind of story of the character back to the flashback that I was talking about a few minutes ago. Um, the ten-year-old dupe is under the uh, table. The monkey, uh, sorry, the chimp is approaching him, sees that it's the ten-year-old, has empathy for the scared child, and then offers out his bloodied paw for a fist bump. And just as they're about to fist bump, the bloody chimp gets a shotgun through the head. Not a shotgun, but a bullet probably from a shotgun or some other kind of gun. And thus endeth the life of the chimp. But there we go. We've got the beautiful, you know, uh, symbolism there. Immediately you're thinking about the Sistine Chapel, but you're also thinking about E.T., the E.T. poster, yeah? And this is uh, Jordan's Spiel most Spielbergian movie. A lot of people have said it. But it, there is Jaws in there. Very clearly there is Jaws in there. And the idea of the, you know, kind of people on a mission who have to kill this killer. Or, sorry, track. I mean, interestingly enough, they don't have a plan to kill it. I mean, how do you, how would you kill it, you know? They work out a way to kill it, actually. Um, 
But um, they really, what they really want to do is photograph it. And there's a kind of obviously, um, there's lots and lots of, um, you know, close encounters in there as well. Partly because of the extraordinary desert scenery there as well. So now, and then it ends and, you know, I won't exactly tell you how the end is because, you know, everybody likes a bit of mystery in their life, don't you? Yes, especially if you're listening to a podcast about the paranormal. So, but one thing that I do need to address, and it's a thing that I've been discussing with a friend of mine, G, who saw this um, film a couple of months ago in the cinema. He had the same problem with the film that I have, okay? And essentially, this is what I'm going to lay out. Lay it out. So we've got this character, Dupe, and he's um, operating this Wild West um, theme park, um, Jupiter's uh, claim, yeah? Now, in the um, kind of shop, or like they've got a stall where they sell alien masks and alien costumes, and they've got like, I don't know who it is, but some, like maybe the kids of some of the people that work there, or, you know, teenagers anyway, um, who dress up as aliens, okay? As part of the kind of uh, Friday night spectacular show that Jupiter's Claim does, okay? So, this is the problem with the film. And so, Jordan, if you're listening, or if you know Jordan Peele, please, you know, get him to listen to this, because I think that he would be uh, well advised to remake the film, but with my suggestions. <laughs> so right, the problem is that we're, we're supposed to believe, because there needs to be a kind of internal logic in any story, obviously. It doesn't matter how fantastical the story is, but you do need to kind of have, um, you know... Uh, a, a reason to commit to um, believing in the characters and believing in the the way that the story develops, all right? And I'm not sure whether I can commit to this film as much as I really want to. And there's lots and lots that I appreciate about this film. But in this key moment, my commitment wanes. So here's the key moment, all right? They do this spectacular event every Friday. Now, we only see, we only find out about the spectacular event every Friday when the guy turns up, uh, essentially kind of out of the blue, you know, um, halfway through the film with a flyer, and the flyer kind of like flies off with the wind. And, but he says, like, come on Friday to, this, to the Friday Night Spectacular He's like miles away and he's shouting at them through the fields and they're shouting back, yeah, all right, fine, or whatever they're saying. But because they're so interested in trying to work out what the hell is going on with what they think at that time is a UFO, they're not really that interested in talking to the, the, the neighbour. But this is a massive kind of valley. So although they're, they're, it's the neighbouring like, bunch of buildings, just so happens to be this Wild West theme park, it's still like, you know, probably two miles away or something like that, yeah? So maybe not two miles away, maybe one mile away. But it's not down, not just down the road. Maybe a mile and a half. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so, so 
we then go to get to see the Friday Night Spectacular, okay? Now, first of all, the audience is about, I don't know, like 20 people or not many, basically. Not much of an audience. And also, your man, Jupe, is, he's kind of like standing there in front of this beautiful vista of, you know, desert behind him, a kind of desert valley behind him. And he's got a um, a, a horse uh, kind of encircled by a curtain, okay? So a, a horse in a box, and the box has got a curtain around it, okay? Now, I think the idea is that he does a little speech which starts with, if I told you that you would leave today changed, would you believe me, or something like that. And, uh, and then I think the idea is that he essentially lets the horse free. The horse, like, rides away, rides away, rides away, rides away. And then what the, the, the UFO, which is kind of like, looks like a cloud, or essentially kind of, it's difficult to say, but there's, like, there's a kind of very clear cloud form in place, um, whereby the UFO kind of cover, uh, hides behind, at least, but also kind of takes the form of the cloud as well, sometimes, or a cloud as well sometimes. Um, like So like way off in the distance, like miles off, I think the idea is that the audience essentially sees this kind of strange, what they could say is a weather phenomenon, but what Jupe is saying is a UFO. He says, for the last six months, every um, Friday night... At 6.11, 11 minutes past 6, a UFO comes down and um, this is what you're going to see, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I think that's the score, okay? And then I think what happens is that he releases the horse, the horse runs down into the valley, and then the horse is uh, kind of detected by the monster that looks like a flying saucer. The monster flies down, and the monster essentially consumes the horse with a kind of um, very localised... Um, what's that? Spinning wind beginning with T? <laughs> tornado. That's it, tornado. Uh, a localised tornado that kind of like he kind of parps out of his, of his um, hat hole. <laughs> so right, I think that is the score. Okay, and Otis has been selling this guy horses, and this guy knows that the horses are consumed by, by um, Jupe knows that the horses are consumed by the UFO. He thinks it's a UFO that essentially whirlwinds up a bloody horse every Friday. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but then, what happens is that there's this. Um, I don't know what exactly had there's some kind of near miss with the oh that's right with ghost yeah one of the horses is called ghost and there's a near miss with ghost and ghost essentially kind of gets away I think from the monster okay and then um M uh has this idea emerald has this idea of putting like a fake plastic horse in one of the um in one of the fields like this massive, like, you know, kind of um, huge horse-shaped, horse-sized plastic horse and with bunting wrapped around it 
to put it in the field as a decoy with the idea that the monster is going to eat the bloody decoy horse. And the monster does eat the decoy horse and the monster doesn't like the decoy horse at all. And the monster especially, they realise, doesn't like the bunting. It hates trying to swallow the bun bunting. You know, it's like trying to swallow rocket, you know. Or what do they call for my American audience? What do you what do you call rocket? Is it arugulia? Do you call rocket arugulia? It's like you know. Often when I um, eat rocket, it's just like impossible. I mean, I oh, it is called arugulia, arugula, arugula. It's a stupid word, isn't it? Anyway, it's impossible to eat arugulia. For me, like I'm constantly choking on rocket these days. So it's I'm just like the monster eating bunting, you know. It's very difficult to eat bunting as well, I find. And so, so I can see why, um, you know, there's something has changed. The thing that has changed in the temperament and the kind of mood of the monster is that, you know, the Friday before, you know, no... No one tried to feed him a fake horse and a bunch of bunting, you know. So now he's like had this horrible, distressing meal. He had to kind of sick up all over the place. So he's after revenge. So I can see why, from the monster's point of view, why things have changed. But what I don't get is what what was the idea? Like, what is Dupe's idea? If Dupe's idea is how I have described it to you, then there are many holes, Jordan Peel. Many, many holes. Where do we begin with the holes? Well, number one, if you've got a UFO, like, you know, dicking around the sky at 6 o'clock, 6.11 every Friday, you're going to have more than 20 people, okay? If you are going to have more than 20 people, or it doesn't matter how many people you got there, if you've got this UFO dicking around the sky... You're going to have a big problem on your hands in terms of how do we contain this? How do we keep it that we're making, I mean, I don't know how much they're charging, but they're not making much. You know, we're making a little bit of money, but we want to keep this exclusive for us. Yeah, we don't want, we don't want Disney buying this thing. Do you know what I mean? We don't want the big boys to come in and say we are going to monetize this situation. So what do they do to prevent that? Well, they could take away people's mobile... They don't even take away people's mobile phones. There's been plenty of performances I've been to which don't involve UFOs where you're just required to, like, you know, put your... If you go to the, uh, the cinema, you're supposed to put your phone off, you know? So at least take away the mobile phones, you know? Say, thank you very much. Maybe we could have a scene whereby we see what it is supposed to be like where it doesn't go wrong. Because all we do is we get the lead up and then it goes wrong. And it goes wrong in a beautiful, spectacular way. But at the same time, is it? are we supposed to believe that, no, that, that the guy um, has no idea, essentially, what's going on? He just says, oh, well, it turned up early this time. Um, but anyway, let's just go for it anyway. You know, and only when it swoops in at an incredibly fast rate does everyone look at it, and then is everyone gets butchered because if you look at it, you get butchered. Yeah, it just doesn't like hold water. Surely, 
at some point in the kind of preceding six months or however many weeks this has been happening, one person would have said, oh, mate, do you know what? I saw the craziest thing on Friday and, you know, you're the kind of executive producer for CNN. So I know you probably think I'm talking nonsense, but just check it out yourself, right? Like, you know, covert record the uh, stuff that goes down at Jupiter... Jupiter's claim, yeah? Send, you know, you kind of, whatever, the the, the newest um, reporter on the beat, and they can go down there and, and covertly record this thing. And you're going to have the biggest story of the year, my friend. Even if it is a localised tornado that t- turns up like clockwork and consumes a horse, you know... <laughs> Like, because it must be at least that. It must be at least that. And even if it's miles away, it must be at least something, you know, for them to to see, you know. And then if it isn't, if it's something bigger than that, like how do you, basically, how do you contain it, you know? How are the military not immediately involved in this and kind of know, immediately know about this? So that, and it also the other thing as well. So I, I would like to see, just Jordan, just bear with me here. This is what I am asking you to do, okay? I'm not telling you, but I am strongly suggesting that you remake the film, but you put in a scene where they do it right. Because you could have a lovely thing where he knows, Duke knows that you're not supposed to see the look at the thing. So you could, like, as if, you know when you were young, Jordan, do you remember? And you saw the eclipse, and you had to look at the sun, but you can't look at the sun with your eyes, can you? No. So what you do is you get a massive chunk of orange plastic and you have to look through the plastic to the sun and then you can see the eclipse like that. So there are kind of you know interesting um, ways of approaching an audience who have to go through this, like, you know, the paraphernalia of giving off, giving their phones away and maybe even signing some kind of piece of paper saying that, you know, they're not going to say anything or they'll be sued or, you know, like being sat down, like finding on their seat a piece of, uh, you know, uh, orange plastic and a mirror and they're given instructions about how to sit and how to place the mirror and how to hold the piece of orange to their eye and then just in the corner of the mirror reflected through the piece of orange they see far far in the valley something that they don't quite know is there or not but they're under strict instructions never to look round. you know there's like so many ways of of making that thing far more interesting and much 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 clearer much 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 clearer for the audience yeah that scene the setup yeah and also, the, of course, the other thing is, like, what is going on for Stephen Yun's character, Jupe? Because it doesn't seem to me, there's nothing in, else in the film that suggests he's the kind of person that would just willingly sacrifice 20 horses to a mysterious monster, you know? And it just comes out of um, left field, that, that decision, that kind of you know, his decision as a character. Like, what is going on with that? He, he is the person that had a relationship with the chimp at the beginning, 
which meant that the chimp, like during a killing spree, thought, oh, no, no, look, it's my mate is scared behind the, but under the table. <gasps> Quick, anyone can help my mates, you know? And then we're supposed to believe that 20 years later he's like um, sacrificing horses. Now, so, so I do have a question about that scene, as you can tell, because I've been talking about it for the last 15 minutes. So, you know, Jordan, please do. Just make nope again, but put that scene in that I say. And then I'll be happy. And then I'll put my rating up from four to five. But it still is four because there's so much that I really, 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 really like about this film. It's extraordinary. The performances are fantastic. It looks absolutely beautiful. It does... You know, that that scene, I've spoken enough about it, but it does kind of rock my world, if you like, that scene. Um, having said that, there's lots and lots that I, that I really enjoy. And it is nice to see a UFO film that does um, acknowledge the kind of movement we've had in the UAP, UFO uh, field in the last, you know, couple of years or so. Jordan, um, I salute you. You are an artist and, you know, these are your decisions and I may disagree with them, <laughs> but um, I could never replicate them in plasticine. So at least there's that. Anyway, that is my review of Nope and now The Blomps. Thanks ever so much, by the way, to everybody that's got in contact the last uh, couple of weeks uh, about this podcast. And it's really warming, heartwarming, and warming of the liver and the spleen as well to hear that you're enjoying this podcast. Thank you ever so much. And of course, if you're interested, do, do please share this podcast to people that you think may enjoy it. And also follow me on Twitter at Paranormal Blip. And on Instagram as well, which is paranormal underscore blip underscore podcast. And it was really nice. I had this reunion event that I went to um, just this weekend. And I was speaking to folk there who listen. It's incredible to meet people, you know, like friends who listen. Guys that I haven't seen for years in some cases that, that listen to the show. So thank you ever so much for doing that. And also very interestingly... Um, and not surprisingly at all, but still incredible. You know, some some folks were giving me very inf interesting information about personal experiences, paranormal experiences that they have had. Um, yeah, which is really, you know, I very much appreciate and feel very privileged whenever I hear those personal testimonies. So, yeah, thanks ever so much. So all it leaves to me to say is thank you ever so much for listening. Now the UFO report should be coming down the track this week at some point. When it does, we'll look into it. So episode 35 should get it before the weekend, hopefully. See you later.